Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Soundsington Media! A few men are out in the desert of southeastern Nevada, in the southwest of the United States. They are dressed in uniform, staring out in every direction, and beginning to take measurements. They have just disembarked from a nondescript plane onto the vast, almost lunar-looking expanse of the salt flat. Salt flats are common in this area of the world, contained within the bounds of long, dried-up lakes. The area of this one stretches almost four miles across, salt and other minerals shining white in the sun. It is the perfect place to land an aircraft. One of the men on this scouting mission, Kelly Johnson, will later write, We flew over it, and within 30 seconds, you knew that was the place. It was right by a dry lake. Man alive, we looked at that lake, and we all looked at each other, so we wheeled around, landed on that lake, taxied up to one end of it. It was a perfect natural landing field, as smooth as a billiard table, without anything being done to it. We used a compass to lay out the direction of the first runway. The place was called Groom Lake. It is 1955, just a few years into the existence of the CIA, or Central Intelligence Agency, the United States government's most secretive organization. Just a few months from now, Johnson and his team will be using this land as an Air Force base for a top-secret aircraft project known as Aquatone. A few years from now, the area of the base will have grown to over 25 miles. It will be the site of dozens of reported UFO sightings and will somehow mysteriously come to be known as Area 51. I'm Elise Parisian, and this is the second part of our special two-part episode on aliens. We'll dig into Area 51 and ask about signs of intelligent life in all corners of our universe, right now on Unspookable. The first thing I thought of when I thought of Alien in a TV show or a movie was Gamora from Guardians of the Galaxies. I've heard of aliens, like, in different TV shows and stuff, but the first thing that I think of is the classic alien green head that's that they put on everything. Hats, beanies, shirts, earrings. I have heard of aliens, like Predator Alien, E.T., and from Mars Attacks, um, in other alien movies. Star vs. the Forces of Evil has monsters because they're all in space. I've also heard of aliens in Star Wars. And, of course, Doctor Who. Um, That's basically all about aliens. Everything's about aliens. (laughs) 
Do you have a favorite extraterrestrial? In part one of this episode, we talked about the history of the human understanding of space and of potential space creatures. The human imagination about what alien life could be like has changed a lot over the course of history, changed with the context of the world around us, our hopes and fears, technology, and science. And throughout centuries of imagination, we have amassed a lot of versions of these creatures, beyond just the little green or gray men. When we ask about memorable aliens from popular culture, a lot of people from a certain generation might mention E.T., the alien from the 1982 movie who ends up loving Reese's Pieces, and his human friend, Elliot, or some might say Superman, Silver Surfer, Thor, or any number of comic book heroes who came to us from other planets. Maybe when you were younger, some of you saw the Yip Yips, the aliens from Mars depicted on the show Sesame Street, fuzzy with long tentacles and big eyeballs, and pretty much everyone from the Star Wars universe. They would be considered aliens, right? Even Baby Yoda? There are, of course, more scary versions like the parasitic and super-intelligent lifeform that threatens the human crew of the spaceship Nostromo in the movie Alien. It seems that everywhere you turn in popular culture, there are depictions of extraterrestrials of all kinds. And the word itself can represent them all. Extraterrestrial is Latin. Extra meaning outside or beyond, and terrestrial from terra, meaning of Earth. The word alien also has Latin origin. It comes from alias, meaning other, and alienus, meaning belonging to another. We have some records of the use of the word in European culture as far back as the 1300s to describe something unnatural or strange. In the 1920s, air travel became a real possibility and people began to imagine what was out there. That's when alien began to be used more frequently to mean not from Earth. We also need to mention here that the word has also been used in nations like the United States to describe other humans, to indicate that they don't belong, because they are immigrants or otherwise not recognized as citizens. We all understand that words have power, How does it sound to you to use a word that often describes invaders from outer space to describe fellow human beings? Although the word alien can potentially be used harmfully, and it's important to pay attention to that, it's interesting to note that the word is most often used to describe intelligent life forms from other planets, sometimes humanoid in appearance. Extraterrestrial, however, doesn't have to have that same meaning. Life on Earth requires water, which provides a place for biochemical reactions to occur. There are 29 chemical elements that play active roles in life on Earth, but just six of them are the building blocks for about 95% of living things. Carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, oxygen, phosphorus, and sulfur. Many scientists believe that because of the sheer size of the universe, nearly inconceivable to the human mind, the chance that there are galaxies, solar systems, 
And planets where these building blocks could have come together like on Earth is pretty high. At the same time, extraterrestrial simply means not of Earth. So what if there are chemical elements that we've never seen or heard of before on a different planet? What if there are completely different building blocks of life out there in the universe? Of course, life doesn't have to mean walking, talking, thinking humanoid creatures. Life could be as simple as microbes. Microbes, or microorganisms, are things like bacteria, viruses, algae, and protozoa. Researchers estimate that around 70% of the Earth's bacteria are contained within the Earth's crust. This could mean that many other planets, even if they don't have visible life on the surface, have a record of it below. As I'm speaking now, Scientists like those at the United States' NASA, the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, are analyzing data that shows methane gas variation in Mars' atmosphere, which could have been produced by microorganisms. With these two examples so close to home, it's easy to imagine that the building blocks of life could exist in other solar systems, on other worlds. Of course, the very high likelihood of microbes existing on other bodies in space also leads to some spooky scenarios, too. There's a job at NASA called the Planetary Protection Officer, whose responsibility it is to make sure that microbes from Earth aren't accidentally introduced to other planets, and that those from other planets don't get loose here. We don't know what samples of red dirt from Mars or chunks of rock from the asteroid belt could contain, but we've certainly dreamt up the possibility that an alien invasion could start with the microscopic. Movies like the 2017 Life imagine what would happen if an alien microbe was rejuvenated aboard a space station only to grow into a monster that terrorizes the crew. Do you want to know what the creepiest part is? While we don't yet have evidence that this could happen with a microbe from space, it has happened on Earth. NASA scientists rejuvenated 35,000-year-old bacteria found deep in an ice core in Alaska. It didn't turn into a monster, of course, but who knows what could happen with ice from Mars or even a more distant planet? All microbes aside, maybe you're still wondering about the possibility of larger life forms. Maybe even ones that are supposedly being studied right under our noses. More on Area 51 when we return. Area 51 is a military plot that some people were thinking that the military was were hiding um, maybe creatures that scientists didn't know about yet? I think of the same exact thing of Area 51, a military base where they keep aliens and creatures that they just don't know what they are yet, so they want to keep them away from the public. I think that if aliens like the green ones were real, and the government would be hiding that, maybe because they think that if they told us the truth, something might bad might happen, maybe? I think that the only reason the government 
hasn't or doesn't have proof is that because either aliens just don't exist or the government doesn't know about them or that it's just a whole lie and it's all made up. I think maybe they haven't told us because then we would worry and then just things wouldn't very end well because if they had proof, then that could cause people to panic about things. Have you ever had someone tell you that they were keeping a secret for your own good? It could be something very simple, like the location of a hidden birthday present. Or it could be more complicated. Either way, secrets create a power dynamic between someone who knows something and someone who doesn't. And when power already exists in a relationship, such as between a government and its people, Questions about what secrets those in power could be keeping from those without power will naturally arise. We've talked about conspiracy theories on Unspookable before, and we've also talked about verifying information about powerful entities, such as governments, to the best of your ability, and to understand the facts of a situation or an issue. But inevitably, there may feel like there are some gaps in what can be proven, especially when someone else seems to have all the power. This is exactly the type of situation that has made Area 51 famous. Area 51 is officially operated by the United States government as a part of the Nevada Test and Training Range, a detached part of the Edwards Air Force Base, under control of the U.S. Air Force. No one quite knows where the use of the name Area 51 started, or exactly why. But this restricted airspace is the subject of a lot of discussion about potential government cover-ups of the existence of extraterrestrial life. In the beginning of the site's use, the CIA was working on Project Aquatone to develop a top-secret, high-altitude reconnaissance aircraft nicknamed Dragon Lady. After this first project, many more aircraft were designed built and tested at Area 51, which operates in a classified manner to this day. This has led to many theories about what is going on at this site. Some people suggest it's really being used to develop teleportation or time travel technology. Some think weather control or the creation of high energy weapons, possibly related to nuclear technology. But by far, the most popular theory about Area 51 is that the U.S. government is using the site to store and examine alien spacecraft, and possibly alien life, including extraterrestrial material supposedly recovered near Roswell, New Mexico. Have you heard about what happened in Roswell? As far as our fears about conspiracy theories related to aliens go, this is one of the original stories that leads to speculation to this day, decades after the reported incident. Roswell is a city not too far from Area 51, in the U.S. state of New Mexico. On July 8, 1947, local newspaper, the Roswell Daily Record, ran a headline that said, RAAF captures flying saucer on ranch in Roswell region. The RAAF, or Roswell Army Airfield, is a local Air Force base just three miles from the city. The military claimed that the debris recovered on the ranch 
were the result of a weather balloon crash landing, after taking measurements of atmospheric pressure. But rumors ran wild in the small city, and journalists from all over the area came to talk to locals and see if they could get to the bottom of what really crash-landed on the ranch that day. One news story read, The many rumors regarding the flying disc became a reality yesterday when the intelligence office of the 509th Bomb Group of the 8th Air Force Roswell Army Airfield was fortunate enough to gain possession of a disc through the cooperation of one of the local ranchers and the sheriff's office of Chavez County. The flying object landed on a ranch near Roswell sometime last week. Not having phone facilities, the rancher stored the disc until such time as he was able to contact the sheriff's office, who in turn notified Major Jesse A. Marcel of the 509th Bomb Group Intelligence Office. Action was immediately taken and the disc was picked up at the rancher's home. It was inspected at the Roswell Army Airfield and subsequently loaned by Major Marcel to the higher headquarters. Later, government officials and news sources reported that there was no way the debris, which weighed only a few pounds and was scattered in pieces over some 200 yards, could have made a flying disc or saucer that could have flown on its own. It had to have been attached to a weather balloon, as the government stated. Interest in the incident faded during the 1950s and 60s, even as Area 51 was gaining popularity. But then, a few different factors converged to reinvigorate interest in the site and a connection between the Roswell incident and Area 51. In 1953, the U.S. Air Force began using the term Unidentified Flying Object, or UFO, as a catch-all for any aerial phenomenon that can't be immediately explained. As tests of the latest aircraft technology in sites in the U.S. Southwest and on other Air Force bases all over the country became more and more common, so too did civilian reports of UFO sightings in the area. The U.S. government explained away many of the mysterious sightings as well-meaning citizens who were not aware of the existence of the type of aircraft the military was testing. So... They imagined that the planes they saw flying over the desert must be advanced technology from space. But despite their explanations, the government still ran very secretive investigations, like Project Sign and Project Grudge. Both Air Force operations opened to investigate UFOs. Despite maintaining into the 1970s that the Roswell incident was just a weather balloon, and that no extraterrestrial life or aircraft were being studied at Area 51, the U.S. government still could not convince new researchers, calling themselves UFOlogists, from trying to dig up new information about the sites. Physicist and self-proclaimed UFOlogist Stanton T. Friedman is among the most famous of that era. Friedman led a civilian investigation of Roswell, where he and a team of researchers interviewed hundreds of people with a connection to the site and obtained hundreds of government documents through the Freedom of Information Act. They determined that at least one alien aircraft had crash-landed at Roswell, that alien bodies had been recovered and possibly taken to Area 51, and that a government cover-up had taken place. 
Over the next few decades, interest grew so much that a 1997 poll conducted by CNN and Time magazine found that the majority of respondents believed that aliens had landed at Roswell and that the relevant information was being kept secret by the government. Regardless of how you feel about Roswell or Area 51 in particular, or alien conspiracy theories in general, do you believe that alien life exists and that somewhere on our planet there might be humans who have proof? Do you believe or do you want to believe? Our search for alien life forms wraps up just after this. If I were to talk to an alien, I would probably ask, do you speak English? Because I don't even know if it's going to answer me. Maybe aliens don't even talk. Um, I'd probably ask, like, what's your name or hi? Um, like, hi, I'm Al. What's your name? If I could talk to an alien, something that I would ask it is, do you have anything that we have here on Earth? But also, if they could understand me and talk to me, and I can understand them, I would probably ask them, uh, like, about their world and about things in, like, their world and how they live, and maybe that can help us. Because maybe they have, like, really good technology or something that will help us live or they can like give us information how or like how to help us did you hear about the facebook event called storm area 51 created on june 27 2019 the event was created as a joke by maddie roberts after hearing about bob lazar an american conspiracy theorist who claims to have been hired by the U.S. government in the 1980s to reverse-engineer extraterrestrial technology. The event was set to take place on September 20th, 2019, and had the tagline, They can't stop all of us! Maddie created it as a joke, but soon more than 2 million people had responded to the event that they were going, with over 1.5 million people interested. News outlets all over the country picked up the story, and the United States Air Force had to release a statement saying, Area 51 is an open training range for the U.S. Air Force, and we would discourage anyone from trying to come into the area where we trained American armed forces. The U.S. Air Force always stands ready to protect America and its assets. Still, on September 20th, the day of the event, some 150 people showed up at the gates, some of whom were arrested for trespassing. Alien Stock, a festival celebrating all things extraterrestrial and their connection to Area 51, was created soon after. People all along the so-called extraterrestrial highway the interstate that brings traffic from Las Vegas to Area 51 and surrounding high UFO sighting areas, prepared for an influx of ET seekers. So what are people chasing by signing up for events like Storm Area 51? Even if they're just doing it virtually, what are we signaling? 
In the popular fictional television show, The X-Files, FBI agent Fox Mulder investigates supernatural occurrences that the FBI would rather keep secret. A poster on the wall of his office in the show shows a black and white photo of a UFO with the words, I want to believe, written underneath. Those words, so simple and yet so packed with meaning, became a type of motto for fans of the show and of alien-related pop culture, research, and conspiracy theories alike. In some ways, these words capture something about our fascination with aliens in general. We are so unsure. Should we believe they exist or not? But in many cases, we really want them to be real. We want to believe in the possibility even if it won't be proven in our lifetimes, or maybe even ever. Today, there are dozens of offices and organizations, both governmental and non, who are transmitting messages out into the universe and scanning frequencies in the hopes that we pick up something that indicates life. Even NASA has launched spacecraft that contain documentation of culture on Earth, in case intelligent life forms someday find it. On its launch in 1977, the Voyager spacecraft contained a golden record with hundreds of images and recordings on it, including greetings in 55 languages, examples of the sounds of wind and waves on Earth, music from all over the world, and even a recording of the brainwaves of Andruian who worked with astrophysicist Carl Sagan on the project. The idea of the record was partially that, even if it was found millennia in the future, intelligent life would be able to read it and learn something about how other life forms existed at the time of its recording. She said, I had asked Carl if those extraterrestrials of a billion years from now could conceivably interpret the brainwaves of a mediator. Who knows? A billion years is a long, long time, was his reply. On the chance that it might be possible, why don't we give it a try? Whether you find the idea of aliens intriguing or even a tiny bit scary, see if you can look up at the stars tonight and imagine their vastness. Imagine what could be possible out there, if you believe. Why not give that a try? Thanks for listening to the season finale of Unspookable. I'm your host, Elise Parisian. This episode was written by Eleanor Riley Condit, produced and edited by Nate Dufort. Our theme song and additional music composed by Jesse Case. Our logo was created by Natalie Kewen. Special thanks this week to our guests Blythe, Bella, and Al. That's it for this season of Unspookable. But make sure you're subscribed, as we have some exciting things to share before our next season in the new year. If you enjoy the show, make sure to tell your friends. You can leave us a rating and review in your podcast player of choice, or share an episode on social media. Speaking of social media, you can find Unspookable on Twitter and Instagram. Follow us for a peek behind the scenes and for updates on the show. Unspookable is a production of Soundsington Media, committed to making quality programming for young audiences and the young at heart. For more information on our shows and the people behind them, go to www.soundsingtonmedia.com.